Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. I'm delighted to greet you, whether you're worshiping here in Lexington or on one of our campuses or worshiping online. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone mentioned to me after the first service that they thought I was clearly free to be me up here. And I said, well, because the last time I was up here, I had to be somebody else. So (laughs) those of you that don't understand that joke, find somebody who does and meet a new friend. So today we're returning to our year-long teaching theme called True Belonging. In the fall, we define true belonging this way, knowing that we have a safe and significant place in something larger than ourselves, and it's found in the true community that is the Church of Jesus Christ. We explored some of the marks of true belonging and what that could look like here at Grace Chapel. Marks like being a Christ-centered community, experiencing transcending worship, as in just the presence of God being palpable, and being able to see people's lives being renewed and transformed. Women and men of all ages, young people and children, discovering they have a place to belong. So that led us to consider a home edition of True Belonging, which we started right after the holidays. We identified different values that we can extend to one another, and we're going through one of those values each week on how to create a sense of family, both in our homes but also here in the church. Some of those values that we've identified so far are faithfulness, trust, restoration, nurture, and intimacy. And this week, we are looking at the value of passing on and sharing faith with the members of our family, both our church family and our home families. And I think we can all agree that these values are very important to our life together, but not always easy to live into. Sometimes we get it, and sometimes we don't. So let's take a look at a scenario that illustrates the tension that we sometimes experience in trying to pass on the faith in our families. Look to the screens. This is it. Big day. Packing up mom and dad's place. It's like putting your childhood in a box. Dad loves the condo, though. It's, It's the right thing. It's the right thing. So, uh, do you want to start here or uh, in in the basement? Um, here. No, the basement. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm ready. I I I really am. It's just so many memories. Uh, yeah. How many times did I come home from school to come crashing through that door? Oh, and all those summers with no air conditioning? Oh, and the Christmases? Oh, with Dad hauling in the tree trying to get the, the oh, lights yeah. just right. Mom putting out all the presents, but we weren't allowed to touch them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all we could do when we came home from church to sit at the dinner table. With Grandma and Aunt Joan. Oh, oh and Mom's Christmas Eve pot roast. Mm. <laughs> I never liked pot roast. What? We are not related. You remember that year that we all got bikes? Mm. What was I, 10? I remember thinking, we had the best family ever. Christmases were always good. Mm. Speaking of which, you weren't at the uh, Christmas Eve service this year. 
Uh, somebody had to make mom's famous Christmas pot roast, so. Well, it, and besides, you know that's not my thing, Andy. It would have meant a lot to dad if you'd come. I don't need the guilt trip today, okay? But you're probably right, I should have come for dad. Or for you. I, I wish you had come. It was a nice service. I think you might have gotten something out of it. Thanks, but I doubt it. Michelle, you're so cynical. When did that happen? Andy, come on. We both grew up in this house. Dad telling his little Bible stories and the songs with Mom and bedtime prayers and Sunday school. It was, just, it was, it was what we did as kids. But as I got older, it, it didn't stick. That's not me. What's not you? No, I, I won't understand it. Do you not believe in God anymore? Any faith of any kind? I don't know. I don't know. I, I learned all the lessons. I gave all the right answers when mom or dad or the youth pastor asked, but it never came alive. Real life was complicated, and Sunday school answers didn't always cut it. And sometimes at home, the questions I asked didn't seem okay. Hmm. I know what you mean. And then I started to see the cracks, you know, and mom and dad didn't always practice what they preached. And I love our family, Andy, but we've got issues. So really, what difference does yeah, the whole nobody, Jesus thing make? Nobody ever said we were perfect. It always came so easy for them and for you. What did? Faith. Trusting that someone's got this whole crazy thing under control. It's not like that for me. Okay, I had to find my own way. Well, I had to find mine too. Um, maybe I didn't share that with you, or maybe you can't see it, but no, faith is not always easy. But that doesn't make it wrong. No, it makes me wrong, right? That's how this discussion always ends. Andy. Andy, we were just talking about summers and Christmas presents and bikes. Don't you remember when none of this other stuff mattered? Come on. It always mattered. It's, it's part of our family. Look, I, I, I don't want to fight, uh, especially not today. No, oh, me neither. Hey, I'm gonna head downstairs and pack up. Um, I was wondering, do you want mom's old desk? Because if not, I'd really like to have it. No, it's, it's yours. Thanks. The most important thing I took from this house is something I already have. That conversation raises a number of interesting questions. How can two people raised in the same house, being taught the same values, come out believing so differently? How can we as imperfect parents display the love of a perfect heavenly father? How can the church be a place where faith in Jesus Christ is taught without scripting every answer for our young people? 
How do we give our children a, a firm enough foundation to, to draw upon when life does get complicated and yet still create space for their questions? How do we best pass along a faith which is as much about relationship as it is about orthodoxy or ritual or tradition? I have long held to the axiom that people do not care how much you know until you, they know how much you care. Friends, when it comes to passing on the faith to the next generation, when it comes to instilling the value of faith in our families, it's all about relationship. The relationship we have with God as followers of Jesus Christ and how transparent we're willing to be with that faith with the people in our lives and the relationship we build within the church family so that we can support and encourage one another as we all navigate these rough waters of our complicated lives. Now, in every church I've served, I have made it a priority to foster relationships between young people and the members of the congregation, the significant other adults, or faith parents, as I've come to call them. So much so that even in my early years, I was sometimes guilty of communicating indirectly and sometimes, frankly, directly to parents, it's your job to get them here and my job to make them want to stay. As though really, it was just the parent's job to get them in the door and then I would take care of all the rest. Kara Powell, who's a professor of youth ministry at Fuller Seminary in California, has been known to say it's like we expected the parents were dropping their kids off at the dry cleaners, and in an hour we'd give them back all freshened up for the week. <laughs> but the truth is, we only have them for one out of 168 hours in the week. And that's if they come every Sunday. So as I continued to learn and grow as a pastor, it became clear to me that passing on the faith was not just the responsibility of the church, but also the responsibility of the parents. In fact, recent studies have shown that no matter how great a children's or youth ministry a church may have, the parents still are the most significant influencers of a child's faith for good or for ill. Christmas and Easter parents will likely raise Christmas and Easter children. But parents who are transparent with their faith at home and model a commitment of regular worship and engagement with their church and their community are far more likely to find their young adult children doing the same. Now, it was just four years ago when I came to Grace Chapel, and Pastor Barry O'Brien introduced me to a curriculum that he was using in Kidstown called Orange. The creators of this curriculum, I've discovered, were first and foremost promoting a philosophy of ministry. And it was a philosophy that I resonated with instantly. That if we take the light of the gospel proclaimed by the church, the influence of the church family, and symbolize it with the color yellow, and then we take the heart of the home, the influence of the home family, and symbolize it with the color red, and then we put them together, we get orange. 
That what these folks were tapping into was the power of joining forces, of linking arms, not working independently with the church family on this side and the faith, the, the um, home family on the other side, but instead bringing them together as a faith family to pass the faith on to the next generation. There is more that we can do together than either of us can do on our own. The next generation needs this faith family. It's not unlike the model that Moses gave to the people of Israel as he gave them instructions to prepare for their life together as they were about to move into the land of promise. We find Moses' model of passing on faith in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to God's word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Israel was on the verge of seeing the fulfillment of the promise that had been made generations earlier to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had called for himself a people to love and who in turn would love him back. God wanted them to be able to withstand the temptations that they would face as they moved into this land with so many influences that would vie for their attention. It's not unlike first-generation immigrants who are trying to preserve language and tradition in a new home. Notice Moses starts by naming what is to be their first priority as a people of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel. The verb to hear in Hebrew is shamar. And so this passage is often called the Shema and is the closest thing our Jewish friends have to a confession of faith. The Israelites, you know, were an uncommon bunch in their day and age. In a time when it seemed every people group were polytheists, they worshipped a plethora of gods who were each given authority, supposedly, over different aspects of the universe, the god of sun and moon and rain. The Israelites were the odd ones. They believed in one god. Not just one god who was the chief among all gods, but one true God through whom everything that exists was given life. The Shema calls the people of Israel to reaffirm the oneness of God and to pledge their love to him, the love of their heart, their soul, and their strength. Now stop to think for a minute. We, we talk a lot in the church about how much God loves you. We sing it to the children, Jesus loves you. We talk about how God loved the world. He gave his only son. But when did you last pray a prayer of your love back to God? That you really talk to God about how much you love him. I have a friend who, when she gives thanks over a meal, always ends it with, we thank you, Lord, for our love for each other and our love for you. And it just rolls off her tongue. And I 
when I hear her say those words, I have no doubt that she means them with all of her heart and all of her soul and all of her strength. We thank you, Lord, for our love for you. The first responsibility of the faith family is to love the Lord our God. The second is to keep his words on our hearts. Moses says, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Now the commandments that Moses is referring to are the 10 commandments, for he has just outlined them in the previous chapter. Growing up in my little Baptist church up in Maine, I remember needing to memorize the 10 commandments, and I did it with gusto, because it got me a scholarship to go to summer camp. Now, back then, it was just a a list of thou shalt nots. As an adult, I've learned the freedom that comes from understanding that the boundaries God places in our lives are there for our flourishing. The Word in Life Study Bible takes a positive view of the Ten Commandments and even names them the Ten Great Freedoms. Here are a few. You shall have no other gods before me. God is our helper. If we hold on to him, we can find freedom from anxiety about our future, our well-being, and our happiness. Remember, the Sabbath day belongs to me. God is our master. If we hold on to him, we will find fulfillment. We need not work ourselves to death. You shall not want anything that belongs to your neighbor. God is the giver of all good gifts. If we hold on to him, we can find freedom from greed and instead live with generosity, compassion, and self-respect. Sorry, I lost that word for a minute. (laughs) So holding on to these words, Moses goes on. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's why I call that workshop First Impressions. Impress these on your children. This is not a statement, by the way, to mom and dad and 2.5 kids in Israel. Rather, it is a statement to all of Israel about all of her children. Now, when I lived in Texas, I used, learned to use the word y'all an awful lot. It's kind of a painted type because you have to stop and put that apostrophe in. But I also learned that there's another word that encompasses all of us. That's all y'all. So this is an all y'all statement to all the people of Israel about all of her children. And it's a 24-7 statement. Stop to think about it. When you're at home, when you're not. When you lie down, when you get up. It's 24-7. Friends, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be able to speak to children or young people about your faith in Jesus Christ or God's love. Just make it a part of everyday conversation. Watch for those teachable moments when you notice a brilliant sunset. Stop and say, thank you, Lord, for being such an amazing artist. When you're driving down the road and you see a car accident, say a quick prayer as you drive for the people who are affected and the first responders attending to them. Take a meal over to a sick neighbor. Maybe pray for one of our mission partners over your evening meal. Remind yourselves of how God's been at work in your life 
and of his faithfulness in the past. This is what the people of Israel would do over and over. They would speak of Abraham's call, of Isaac's life being spared, of Jacob's night of wrestling, of Joseph understanding that what his brothers meant for harm, God worked out for good, for the good of the whole family, and of God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt, out of the bonds of slavery. And I imagine the women also telling some good stories, like of Sarah laughing when the angels came and told her, you're going to have a child at the age of 90. I would not be laughing. I'm just going to make that clear. <laughs> or Rebecca leaving her family to go marry a guy she's never met. How would you like to do that? I see a tap of a knee over there. Or Rachel falling in love and having to wait seven years to be able to marry Jacob because he got married off to her sister first. I always feel bad for Leah. We'll talk about that another time. As New Testament Christians, we recall the stories of Mary and Joseph being willing to raise the Son of God in a hostile and foreign world. Of Anna and Simeon who waited until their old age to see the revelation of God's Messiah of John the Baptist looking at Jesus in the distance and saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of Martha, one of my other favorites, the sister of Lazarus, who when she meets Jesus outside the grave of her brother, she confesses that you are the Christ, the one who was to come into the world. It seems Martha was listening even while she was banging the pots and pans in the kitchen. The next generation needs their faith family to remind them of God's faithfulness in the past. And we can recall our own personal stories of God's faithfulness when the hand of God was at work in our lives. And they don't have to be life-shattering or epic stories, but simple, everyday moments when you sensed God's presence, when you knew you were in the midst of something where God's hand was at work. Remind yourselves, remind those you call family of God's faithfulness through that time of unemployment. How hard it was, but God was faithful. Through those cancer treatments, through the death of a loved one, through a time of separation due to jobs or, or military. Telling the stories of God's faithfulness to the next generation is how we will keep from being one generation away from extinction. Moses' next instructions may seem a bit odd, for us today in our world, but I like to think of them this way. Bind them as a sign on your hand. May everything I do, may all the work of my hands be done to the glory of God. Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end of every composition, wrote three little letters, S-D-G, soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Can we sign that at the end of every day, at the end of a load of dishes or laundry, the end of every letter, every project, every business deal, every text message, every post on Facebook? Soli Deo Gloria. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. 
keeping the word of God fresh in our minds, getting into the word on a regular basis, letting the children or the young people in our lives see us doing this, and then talk about what God is teaching us through the scriptures, taking time to read a Bible story before bed. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Do the people who walk into your houses sense that they have walked into a home that is dedicated to the glory of God? Is your home a place where other children and young people love to come because here they experience something different, something that's authentic? Do your own kids feel safe to ask those tough questions? Do you have a practice of giving and receiving forgiveness when hurt happens in the home? Do your neighbors feel welcome to drop by for a cup of tea or a listening ear? The next generation needs their faith family to show them God's faithfulness today. I have always been committed to vibrant children's ministry and engaging youth programs as vehicles through which significant relationships are built. It is here in the life of the church family where young people make connections with adults who live out their faith as their small group leaders or teachers, as teammates on a welcome or an usher team, people who sit next to them in worship and tap them on the shoulder to learn their names so they can pray for them next week. People who sit next to them in the orchestra or sing with them on the worship team. Perhaps they're serving alongside someone on a tech team, in the cafe, on a cross-cultural learning experience, or even on a kids' town team. This is how adults become faith parents. My desire is that every single one of our young people, when they graduate from high school, can name five faith parents in the life of the church who know their name and love them and care about them. Five. So far as it depends on us, let us make our homes and our church places where it is safe to ask those questions and to wonder and to doubt, to wrestle where God is amidst the complexities of life. Our young people need to know that they belong here that they truly belong, even with their questions and their doubts and their holy genes. They still belong. And not only that they belong, but they're not alone. They have not been abandoned to figure out faith by themselves, but they have a faith, family, church, and home who've got their backs, who are loving them with the unconditional love of God and pointing them to Jesus Christ, their Lord, who lived for them, died for them, rose for them, and lives again, and sits at the right hand of the Father, sending the Holy Spirit to reach into their world and let them know they are loved. Now notice I didn't say our homes and our church have to be perfect, which is good because they're filled with broken and sinful people. The people of Israel may have been the chosen people, but they were not perfect. Some forgot to tell the next generation, and sometimes the next generation walked away from faith. So what do we do? with the heartache that comes when a family member wanders or rejects faith or just says it didn't stick. First, love them. 
Continue to love them. Because remember, relationships are everything. Second, pray. Pray day after day, week after week, month and year after year. Pray that the Holy Spirit will meet them right where they are and open their heart and their eyes. And then trust. Trust the God who loves them even more than we do. Trust that he will watch over them and bring them back. God does not desert his people. He never leaves his people. He continues throughout history to work through a remnant who are clinging to and hanging on to that which has been passed on to them. And he continues to do that today. Just look at us here in Massachusetts. A place that was settled in by people looking for freedom of worship 400 years ago, which is now one of the least Christian metropolitan areas in our country. We are a remnant. The next generation needs the faith family to hold out hope and belief that God's faithfulness is there and he will be faithful into the future. So friends, we have a twofold call before us. First, to be a church where students and children's lives are transformed by the unconditional love of God through relationships within their faith family. And second, to equip and empower and support parents and other caring adults to live into this biblical mandate to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to the next generation. Turn your eyes to the screen, for here is what it looks like when the faith family shows up for the next generation. A young couple stands before the congregation to affirm their vows of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and their commitment to nurture their young child in the faith. An older adult sits in a rocking chair in the nursery, humming softly to a baby. A young adult sits cross-legged while two toddlers climb all over his lap. A high school student snuggles with a little one reading a story. A team prays together before the beginning of FX, a once-a-month family experience for the whole church to be able to come and support elementary children and their parents. A young man devotes time each week to be a buddy with one of our shine kids. Kidstown leaders go through team building exercises at one of their training events. Adult leaders lead a discussion with middle school boys on a retreat. Pray for them. (laughs) Friends, the next generation needs the faith family, and I believe the faith family needs the next generation. Here, Grace Chapel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Keep these words on your heart and recite them 
to your children. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious, our gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the opportunity that we have in our country to come and freely worship you. And I pray for, for those of us in this, in this remnant of New England that you would use us to share this good news with the next generation, both the next generation here, but also out in the community around us. That our homes might indeed be ones where neighbors would come and experience warmth and love and acceptance. God, I pray that our, our children and our students would find when they come here a second home where people know their name, where their questions and their doubts and their wonderings are okay. And we are able to get in conversation with them to help them wrestle with finding where you are in their complex lives. Father, we thank you for all of our faith parents who love on our little ones in Kidstown, who are part of large group dramas and crazy games, and for those who take whole weekends or weeks to go off with middle school and high school students. God, thank you for them. And call more to join them, to link arms between family and church that we indeed might be a faith family where we are boldly telling the next generation about the goodness of God. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.